This is our last sermon today on history. Um, just to recap with what was spoken on last week, um, Mark spoke about um, being a part of God's story, his story. And he spoke about how God is searching for men and women to be a part of his plan and to do his will. And we need to make that choice and ask God to cleanse our lives and guide us into the way that he wants us to go. So today, we're going to talk a bit about what needs to happen after we make this choice to have our lives cleansed and the choice to move on with God. Some mingling. I'll just wait until everybody sits down. All right, you can turn with me if you like. Um, We're going to look at Ephesians 4 verse 1 and 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12. In Ephesians 4.1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in the beginning of that chapter, um, Paul is talking about um, his conduct and the people that worked with Paul towards the Thessalonian church and what they were doing and why they were doing it for that church. And he says that they did these things that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we've been called, this is our calling, to live a life worthy as believers. And it's not that we should live a life worthy, have ourselves be the ones that are worthy, but live a life to give God the worth and God the praise and God the glory because he is the only one that deserves it. In Romans 11, verse 33 to 36, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known? I love this section because it's just a big rhetorical question because the answer is so obvious. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who or who has been his counselor? No one. Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For, this is the crux, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So as we look at this passage of scripture, it pretty much just sums it up that everything, everything in life comes back to God. And like, I think we forget um, that this is the case and we need a bit of reality check on who really deserves a praise in our lives for all the things that we think that we do in our own strength. So whether it be your job, your car, your money, your employment, your education, maybe your school, your house, your stuff in your house, your mortgage to pay for the stuff and the house, whatever it might be, All of that is from God and you have it all because of God and through God and all of it at the end of the day when you are nothing and when you're dead and gone will go back to God because it's his stuff and that's, that's the idea that we have to carry with us. We get this idea that we've earned all of our belongings and we paid for it and it's our things and we own it but and that's the, th- that's the kind of catchphrase of the world. It's mine. You can have this. You can own it. It's yours. 
and it happened for me and I bought it and it belongs to me. Me, 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 me. But at the end of the day, it's God's job and it's God's money. It's God's car. You're driving around in God's car and it's God's house that you live in and it's God's stuff that's in your house and it's God's mortgage and it's God's school and it's God's education and he's given it all to you for your use. None of it is actually yours. It's God's. So if we go back to this end section in Romans, from him and through him and to him are all things, all things, and to him be the glory. So whether we say, you know, I bought that car, <laughs> I spent a lot of time and effort in my job and money on that car, maybe a little bit of help from the bank, but I, that car is mine and it's well-deserved, newsflash, it's not yours. God can take it away like that because it's his. Everything comes back to him. Everything is from him. And it, we can see this through all of scripture, the, the ownership of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God in our lives and how he is all-encompassing of all of our things. He is the owner of them all. Let's have a look. Now, you're probably not going to be able to keep up with me. I'm just going to pump through a few of these scriptures. Just to give you an example of some of the stuff that's in the word of God that's talking about this. Isaiah 45 verse 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Psalm 115 verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Psalm 96 verse 11, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Then all the trees of the field will sing for joy. That's one of my faves. Nehemiah 9 verse 6, you alone are the Lord, you made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Colossians 1, verse 16 to 17. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Is that idea again. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In Colossians, well, where are we? No, we've written that. Sorry. <laughs> Psalm 106, verse 8. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, not for our glory that we might, that we might glory in something like that, to make his mighty power known. He does things for his glory and for his name's sake. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. We get this idea as Christians that our Christianity and our Christian walk is about us. It's, it's self, self-looking in. I find it interesting, the things that were shared here this morning, that Emily shared and that Shandell shared, they were talking about how we get so consumed with our lives and what we're doing and the things that we want to do and all the busyness of 
our stuff and our happenings. And as Christians, it just becomes all about me. God loves me and he died for me. And I, like, he's in me and he's got a big plan for me. And then when I die, he's gone to heaven to make me a big house. It's all about me. And this just isn't the case. We need a bit of a wake-up call, like Emily said, a bit of a newsflash. It's not all about looking in at me. And God isn't about giving glory to me, making me feel good in my Christian walk. God is about giving glory to God. This concept kind of threw me a bit when I first heard this idea. I thought, it doesn't seem doesn't seem right. Like, how can a God who's loving and caring and unself, who promotes unselfishness and wants us to think of others be so consumed with giving glory to himself and making it about God, not about us? I didn't get that. I thought, doesn't it? I don't know. It just doesn't seem right. But we have to understand that we have been raised and and grown up in a in a society that is all about this person here. We are the ones that make the world spin around for us. Not him. We are. That's what they say out there. And so we're so used to this idea that it's about us. So that this concept of God is giving glory to God, full stop, only God, kind of throws some of us because we're just not used to that, that, that change in our thinking. And you know what? That whole, that whole reason for God doing that is because he loves us. He wouldn't be God if he didn't do that. And he is, it, the love of God is what makes him say, don't look inwards, look to me, glorify me. I want the glory for me. I want to read you an extract from a message that um, I recently read by an American pastor whose name's John Piper that helps kind of break this idea down of how God is being loving by saying, I deserve the glory and only me. Says God's love for us is not mainly making much of us, but He's giving us the ability to enjoy making much of Him forever. In other words, God's love for us keeps God at the center. God's love for us exalts His value and our satisfaction in it. If God's love made us central and focused on our value, which is what our society does, it would distract us from what is most precious, namely Him. Love labors and suffers to enthrall us with what is infinitely and eternally satisfying, God. Therefore, God's labor loves and suffers to break our bondage to the idol of self and focus our affections on the treasure of God. There's no end to the greatness of God. There's no end to what we could glorify in God. He's the beginning and the end. He's the source of life and love and peace and purpose. He's patient and he's our protector and our comforter and our guide he provides for us i could keep going on and on and on there's like there's not enough adjectives to describe what god is 
in our lives. So why is it that we mortal, little, tiny, self-centered human beings think that, no, we should have some of that, not him. No, I should get a little bit of a pat on the back, not him. It's funny because we live in this society that is all about that. Pat on the back. Big award. You've done a great job. Yeah, have a promotion. You've done such an excellent job at work this week. Or little kids, star on your little sticker chart. Yeah, yeah, good job for doing wheeze on the potty. Yay. We strive for that. That's what we strive for all through going up. Like in our family, it's just... I notice things like little jobs done so that, you know, oh, good job, yes. Or you do something and for me, I make a big dinner, I make a big fuss and clean the house and do the ironing and do everything. Thank you. Thank you. Good job, wife. Yay. Sometimes. And if I don't get it, isn't it funny how disappointed I am? Why shouldn't I be doing that out of unselfishness and out of love and out of, this is my wifely duty to do this for my family. I hear an amen, Nathan. (laughs) We get caught up in the where's our pat on the back, where's the wife of the year award, come on. But And this is something that kind of struck a chord with me yesterday. It was about the dishes. We have a broken dishwasher. And on the one hand, it's a bummer, but on the other hand, it's really teaching us a good lesson. Darren hates doing the dishes, and I get that. Like, I'm not too fussed about it either. But he, he, he likes to tell me that out of all the housework jobs, this by far is the worst for him. It just takes a cake. So, I mean, that's cool. Like, it. It's a little bit unfair for him, though, because we have this general rule that whoever cooks doesn't clean up. And I do a lot of the cooking. Sorry, Dal. But anyway, he's not here, so I can talk about him. Um, Anyway, so last night, we just had a massive day. We just got the chicken pox, so we're just all, like, rushing around, trying to do stuff and make everything, food and meals for lunch and all sorts of things. And we've got a big pile of dishes on the sink, and it's always, shorty not, not my turn, shorty not. Everybody, everybody yells out, not my turn, I'm not doing it, I don't want to do this. this. And then we start with the counting. Anybody know about the counting? I have done the dishes four nights this week. I've done them five. I do dishes at my work every day. Here we go with the counting. And so I go and pick up the bowls. I cooked. I'm not... I'm not trying to brag or anything. I cooked, so I go pick up the bowls, and I thought, I'll just do it. What are you doing, Dal? What are you doing? It's not your turn. I'm just doing it. And I just felt like God say to me, do it out of a servant heart. Don't expect anything. Don't say, it's not my turn. I'm not on the roster, or I'm not up for dishes, or whatever. Just do it. Do it without grumbling and complaining. What's that beautiful scripture that I love? Do things without grumbling and complaining and just do it out of a servant attitude. But we are reluctant to do this because sometimes when we do things, we want to do it out of the selfishness of ourselves. We want to do things for a pat on the back or a big reward. And if that's not going to happen, why do I want to do the dishes? You're not going to give me a chocolate at the end of the day. 
So this is what God's asking us to do. Change your mindset about the things that you do in your life and why you do them and what you do them for. We can see at the very, from the very beginning of time this problem with self and glory. The two people that first were here, Adam and Eve, the two people that really didn't make it a good time for us now. But anyway, we won't blame them. (laughs) They had this just, I can't even describe their situation. Perfect. Garden, fruit, creator, walking with them, relationship, like infinite possibilities. They could just do whatever but one thing. And they decide, you know what? I just want a little bit of that glory and that whatever it is that God's got going on, I want a little bit of that for myself. They got deceived. Sin came into the world and said to them, you can have that too. That's for you also. And that's where it began. I want a little slice. I don't want the whole thing. I just want a little bit. just want that one little piece of fruit so I can have that too. And they... They tarnished that idea for us that God to be glorified always is the way that it should be. They tarnished that and said, no, you know what? I want to have some of that a little bit too for me. And I love this quote. It's by Andy Stanley. It says, humanity became a race of traitors because we attempted and we still attempt to hijack the glory that belongs to God alone. And as dad spoke, Mark spoke last week in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29. It pretty much just sums this up. No flesh should glory in his presence. It's not for us. It's for God, that glory. And then again in verse 31, it says, And as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And that scripture reminded me of another scripture that I've highlighted in my Bible, and it's a cross-reference, and it goes over to Jeremiah 9, Verse 23 and 24, and it says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. And then we've got Isaiah 48, verse 10 and 11. Oh, I don't have that one on here. I'll read it for you because I don't have it on here. See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. And he says this twice, maybe just to drill it into our heads. For my own sake. For my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. He's pretty strong about it. He doesn't want his glory going to anybody else. It's, it's funny because we have a whole mindset with our society that is complete opposite. And as Christians, we get caught in this trap of thinking that our lives would be better if, okay, 
I'm a Christian, I believe in God, and I go to church and I do all my stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm in the middle. And God is somewhere out there running around and doing things that I need him to do. And he'll come back and wait on me and I'll sit here and grapes and wipe my brow and, yes, good, fan me now, Lord. That's our idea sometimes as Christians. We think that we are in the middle and God is doing all the things for us out there somewhere, running around for us. And when we start to think like this, it starts to show in the way we act. It starts to show in our prayer life, in the way we talk to God. Oh, Lord, I really need God. Just bless me today. God, give me rah-rah-rah. God, help me rah-rah-rah. God, just do rah-rah-rah-rah-rah. Where are you, God? Like, I'm waited long enough now. And we talk to God as if he's this little servant man running around for us, doing our things. I love this analogy. We imagine God to be a genie in a bottle and he's going to give us three wishes. Maybe more, hey. Or a dog on a leash. You pat the dog and that makes you feel good. Giving the little doggy a pat. Yes, oh, lovely, nice. And then when the dog's annoying you, you can go outside. Off you go. Put him in the dog house, lock the door, and the dog will bark. Mm, what's that noise? Oh. And then eventually you don't hear the dog barking. And then the dog might want you to go throw a stick for him. Oh, God, I don't want to throw a stick for you today. Maybe tomorrow. I'm a bit tired. I don't want to do what you want me to do, God. I might do it tomorrow. We get this stupid idea of God that he's for us, not we're for him. Um, I've got an illustration, something that I, um, it's just stuck with me. In year 12, we had an assembly with all the year 12ers. Um, assemblies like, I don't know, what do they call it? What's the other word for assembly? Parade? Whatever it is. Where all the year 12s get together and announcements and such as. So we had this assembly and one of the, um, Pastoral care classes had to do a little bit of an item at the front. So they had their team come up, and I don't remember exact things, but I remember the gist of it, and the gist of it has stuck with me. And it keeps coming up in my head all the time, this little illustration. It starts off as a baby. So one of the kids got out on the ground, and he was doing a baby, sucking his thumb and everything. And he's crying. But the cry isn't like a where where The cry is a me, 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 me. And along comes the mother and, oh, me, 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 oh, me, me. And then show a little sign that says five years later. So this is the family scene now. And we've got two kids fighting in the front. Me, 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 me. Punching each other and pulling at toys. Parents in the background. Me, 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 me. Oh, me, 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 me. And we've got another one. Sign comes along. 15 15 years later. 15 minutes later. (laughs) 15 years later. This one's of a wedding. We've got a pastor at the front in the middle. We've got the man who was once a baby here and his fiancée. Pastor. Me, 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 me. Oh, me, me, me. Wife. Me, me. 
man, me, me. They get married, kiss, rah, rah, rah. They didn't actually kiss at school. That was 30 centimeter rule, off bounds. And then they got another sign coming past 50 years later. So the man who wants, wants a baby, wants a, wants a five-year-old, wants a married man, is now an old man lying in a chair. His last dying wish. Me. Me. And this is the bit that I've added, because they didn't put this bit in. I see a sign in the blink of an eye. Man, God. Man looks at God. Me? God? No. Me. Always has been. Always will be. Me. And that's it. That is, that is what it is about. Him. And we're going to get the biggest reality check if we think that after this big me, me, me of a life, we can get up there and go, I did something too, you know. I did, I did a little bit on the side, walked an old lady across the street and set up the chairs at church and I did something as well. And God said, you didn't see what I did. I did everything. It was about me. Only me. And you missed it. And you know what? The thing about this is we just... We don't realize it until it's too late. That this me thing... It's not what we're supposed to be about. It's not what we're created for. We are created for something so much greater than ourselves. We're created for a bigger, better purpose. Let's have a look at this bigger, better purpose. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. So we reflect the Lord's glory. We don't show the glory. We reflect it. And being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're being changed to be like him. We are reflecting the Lord's glory. We're not making glory for ourselves. We're reflecting something. God is the light bulb. We are the mirror. Light bulb shines onto mirror, shines out, reflecting. Put that mirror without the light bulb. You're not going to get any light happening. Nothing's going to happen. We are reflecting the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light, his light, shine in our hearts to give us the glory, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So our whole reason for being designed and being created wasn't for us. It was to reflect something. And not just something, anything. It was to reflect the infinite perfectness of God and his glory. Are we aware that that's why we're here? Do we realize that that's what we were created for? It's funny when you look at your life. When somebody gets exalted above you, how does that make you feel? Somebody took your idea, your great idea that you work so hard on, 
and they made it and they said that it was theirs. Everyone else gets noticed and you don't. Everyone else got invited and included and you didn't. Everyone else gets the things and you don't get anything. You did a really great job, a really fantastic job, and you worked really hard, and no one saw it. You could turn that right around and know exactly how God feels. We exalt ourselves above him, and how does that make him feel? We take his ideas, and we say that they're ours, and we claim them for ourselves. We want to be noticed and exalted above him. And we, want, we include everything and everybody else in our lives, but we leave him out. How do you think he feels? He did an amazing, awe-inspiring job, and nobody took notice. And it was him and him alone that did it. And no one gave him the credit. How do you think God feels? And yet we turn around and say, but I, but I did, me, it's no comparison. So I want to ask a question. Is this you? Can you kind of resonate with what I'm saying? When you hear this stuff, you go, wow, that's me. I'm guilty of that. And if it is you, I want to give you the opportunity to readjust the way you think and readjust the way that you have this idea of why we're here and what you're doing here. It's funny, people say that, um, that phrase, um, how do you want people to see you and remember you when you're gone? Why do we make our lives about that? As Christians, we need to start making our lives about how do we want people to see God and know God when we're gone? How did we reflect that the best that we could? Did we? And if we're not, we probably should. Because if you go right back to the beginning that I read in the beginning in Ephesians, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are we living a life worthy of his calling? So this is my challenge. That piece of paper that we gave out at the beginning, I want you to get that. Pick it up and the pen. Now, we usually do little memory, memory verses on cards like this. So this is going to be our memory verse, I guess, in a sense. I want this, what we're going to write on here, we're going to write Psalm 115. I'll put it up on the slide so that you can see it. Psalm 115, verse 1. 
I want you to write this down on your card. And I want this to be not just a, cool, I'm writing a scripture on a card. Awesome. What now? I want this to be for you a truth, a declaration in your life. Something that during the week, if you've got it where you can see it, on your mirror, in the kitchen, on the fridge, on your car dashboard. I used to love doing that in my old beat-up car, sticking stuff on my car dashboard. Put it somewhere where you can see it so that when you look at it during the week, this is a reminder that, hey, you're not going to work for you. You're going to work for God's glory. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're doing it for God's glory, not yours. Not for your pat on the back and a star on your, on your little sticker chart. And notice that at the end of this scripture it says, because of your love and faithfulness. The lovingness of God says, exalt me, honor me, glorify me. Because when you do, that's when you're really living the way that I created you to live. Not honor you and glorify you. Lift me up, make me first. That's the lovingness of God. All right. So, put that somewhere safe. I don't want to see any little cards floating around. We're going to pray now. We're going to pray together. So I want you to um, join hands together. If you're between an aisle, join hands between aisles. Because we're going to spend some time in prayer asking God to help us with this shift. We've talked about the choice to be a part of his story. Now we need to make the changes to be a part of his story.